Welcome to Sattva Himalayan Wisdom, continuing with the inquiry sessions. In this episode, Simon Keenan joins, asking Anand to expand our understanding of the sacred pilgrimage. Anand, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to have this wisdom meeting. And I'd like to start with a question around synchronicity. Synchronicity is something that we've we've all experienced on our journeys, whether it's the Camino de Santiago, coming here to India, or taking a, a deeper inner journey. And for those for those who don't know what the Camino de Santiago is, it's a it's a pilgrimage people take. Many people walk eight hundred kilometers across northern Spain to a place called Santiago. And it's a journey within, really. And a lot of people, so I've lived on the Camino for eight years, and a lot of people will constantly tell me that they experience so much synchronicity, more than their normal life. Could you explain for us the nature of synchronicity and and why we might experience synchronicity more in a journey like the Camino? I think synchronicity is experienced by an individual in a specific state, right? The the whole experience of synchronicity is a gaining of unity, where seeming innocent event, which seemed to be to an outside observer, might not be related, but to the experiencer, it seems connected and related to something much deeper. So it really points to the consciousness state of the experiencer of these events where nature or the extended reality really shows up as an ally. And, you know, the the language that existence speaks is through these gestures. In these moments of synchronicity, you really feel, the individual feels supported, guided. Right? It has a, a, a meaning which goes beyond coincidence. Because synchronicity, these experiences are shared, you know, it's not a isolated phenomena. So there is a very uh, clear validity to it, which is verified by the people's experience from all different backgrounds, belief systems, different ages, you know, and across what spectrum of what the synchronicity points to. And the underlying in all these experiences is an experience of gaining unity, a feeling of that you are part of something greater. Uh, You are not an isolated value of awareness, but rather your localized awareness is uh, connected to a greater field. And I think this ability to detect synchronicity requires a particular state within the individual. For the, in the absence of that ability, the individual cannot perceive that as synchronicity, for it is the experiencer who is the experience. So naturally when uh, 
individuals are on a spiritual journey or on a pilgrimage of uh, the Camino de Santiago or on a yogic journey, they are more open. They have, uh, they are leaning in the direction of growth. They are leaning in the direction of transformation. So they're they're in a more heightened state. It happens also with people. Let's say they they experience some someone passing in their life, and then they could have a certain more a certain event which could point to a present beyond the physical identity. So we see there is often in people there is an accompanying heightened state or at least these uh, leaning in the direction of greater unity. And so these experiences always will be more when the individual takes on an intentional journey. And when it becomes, they're leaning in this direction of growth and they are leaning in the direction of evolution, they will find more and more of such events occurring in their life. It is not that all of a sudden there are more of these events. It's just they have developed the requisite awareness to detect unity, to detect the grace which has always been there, that how they are part of the whole, and they have now the ability to see the message. And so I think it's uh, the appearance of synchronicity is a confirmation for the individual that I am on the right path invariably, people who have this experience will always have a feeling, a corresponding feeling arise in them that, oh, I am on the right path. Right. And that uh, becomes the antidote for this chronic hesitation humans struggle with, right? this self-doubt humans struggle with, this uh, lingering feeling of not being where they need to be. Yes or no? And so uh, synchronicity is a the ability to detect synchronicity is a natural part of progress. It's a pointer to growth because you are gaining unity. You are able to detect the underlying intelligence which is guiding us. You can see a greater, you can feel part of something greater than your isolated existence. And so naturally, when you are on a pilgrimage or on a spiritual journey, that there is more openness to that. And, but that doesn't have to cease on, from, on the pilgrimage. It doesn't have to just be there. It, if you have a, because ultimately, as you said, the pilgrimage is uh, an inner journey. And if one stays with that, then one finds one life, one's life is, has more synchronicity than randomness. For randomness is nothing but our inability to detect unity, right? So our life seems just chance and random and accidental, where there is less resonance. Whenever there is more resonance in life, we will find things falling into place. And that gives a, a very deep, calm, inner confidence. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, not a confidence which has to scream and which comes through overpowering some adversity, you know, some opponent, but it's a confidence which is born out of your inner realization of the underlying unity. So you'll, that's, a, I think, an essential part of one's growth.
on on the spiritual path or, or on themselves this ability to detect synchronicity and if one follows it I always say that when you have synchronicity sometimes you might see the meaning and sometimes you might not but what is important is to really take note of it in your heart and really acknowledge it. I think acknowledgement of these, your ability to detect when you're able to detect these experiences or these pointers where you can draw the line of unity. You must always take a moment and pause and acknowledge and locate greater gratefulness in your heart for that enhances your ability to draw them more in your life. And one should be aware of when one is sharing of that uh, that you are sharing only with those who have the ability to understand. So because in the sharing, otherwise, if you are seeking validity and somebody just brushes it, then you lose the sanctity of it. Because we, I say that because we live in a time, I mean, where you, you know, this, you're making a podcast now, and which is beautiful that we live in a times to share and we can share and tell our stories to people far and wide and those who are ready to hear can be positively influenced by that. But also there is a flip side where we are living in an oversharing time where we, in this sharing, we might be seeking validation. And so I've seen a lot of time people who have such experience, but then it gets brushed aside when they shared it with someone, right? It gets, got brushed aside and it created now doubt in them, whether they had a genuine experience or uh, then they, you know, they start doubting that ability. So they then stop paying attention to it. So I think it's very important to, as if you want to grow that ability to when you have these experiences to pause and acknowledge and have a gentle inner recognition of it and enliven and gratefulness and anchor that knowing that, okay, you know, there is unity here then you are able to detect the flow of grace for whatever you acknowledge grows you know. uh, without hesitation I think it's uh, it really is sweet when you can detect that because it's really a, it's a t terrible life to live in a universe which is an alien right I mean it's to live in a kind of a industrial wasteland you know or or to live in a place where you are your whole existence is a mistake. I think that's really not a good, great recipe for a successful life. Uh, the field should be our ally. And synchronicity is one of the great pointers to that. Could you speak a little bit more to sharing, like in that context that, that you share right now? Um, because it is something that is so prevalent in our world, in our society, and we have these big experiences, these big journeys, and wherever it is, we want people to understand what we've been experiencing. Um, it's definitely something that I also see in the context of the Camino, where people go through a huge, a huge experience in their life, something opens, and they want uh, people in their lives to understand. Mm -hmm. I think one has to be patient with it. Uh, often there is an impatience. That uh, when I speak to what I mean by that is like the individual hasn't understand the significance of the experience. They haven't settled fully in it. And so there is, there is a, a rushed sharing sometimes because they haven't yet fully 
embodied it in their sharing there is a sense of seeking still and often then it can be met by a, mis a disappointment of not being understood B because uh, there is an underlying expectation there and so one has to be you know because they, whatever whoever the individual you are telling to they might not have been on that journey with you and so since it is an inner journey it is very difficult to because the, the individual when you're telling your transformation story they have a particular image of you and so when you go back it's just that the image returns and so you have to give them space you have to give yourself space to embody it gain deeper understanding and so then the sharing is not for you to gain validation gain acceptance or like hey it did it really happen it's not a kind of an ego thing anymore your sharing is only to gain unity include this person in your experience or to inspire them and to show them the possibility because the self is you so that it becomes more as a tool of to inspire to serve right and so that uh, requires a certain level of uh, patience in the sense that you have to be not so rushed with it so if you are truly changed and you go back to your families then you should ask them about them <laughs> because you know uh, how they have been and how what you can how can you should really share from your presence so they feel oh wow there is something different this being is more loving and more present and uh, there is something different about this person and then they are more open to what you have to share versus you just going and not giving them space to feel the shift in your i amness but just using words to paint a picture you know so you have to let your presence speak first and then slowly less is more sometimes that's my uh through hundreds of people who have come through here it's an advice i think which is very helpful mm. yeah that, i mean this is a question that i would have would probably ask later in the <laughs> in the interview or in the conversation but um it's such a an important one in uh, in the context of this sharing but also returning home i mean these big experiences things are awakening enlivening in our life and i guess from what i see in in the thousands of people that i've met along the way it's probably the the biggest missed opportunity of their their journey is how they return their returning camino and i think it's relevant for us here too as we go through um you know a teacher training here and returning home what it what is supportive to to people who are who are looking to to really live their learnings integrate assimilate and and continue on their journey rather than leave that experience behind in the past you see if someone is taking that journey of self discovery uh, the distinction between the a journey as the walking path and uh, a journey that is being experienced here is that there is a fundamental uh, technology practices and teachings which are very clear which you bring with yourself 
and so the path goes with you and so uh, the path then is no more a geographical location and that's what everybody even the even you are on a pilgrimage ultimately that's what you have to realize that the the path is not the geographical location of course there is a a value to that and it has its own place to help facilitate uh, an opening but uh, the journey has to continue and the continuation requires a certain level of path a certain path and path in our tradition we speak of the path as a certain commitment to your own spiritual practice to have uh, that continuity for when you have that continuity of sadhana then uh, even when the scene changes and you might have certain responses to the change in scenery on an emotional feeling level that's very natural you know um, but if you have that inner practice then uh, you stabilize and then you start to integrate and you in that new scene and what that is important to realize is to not get into this idea of this thought of i'm going back going back because that's just a memory you you are not going back you're just going here and uh, you're actually moving into the future or rather the future is moving into you so this identity of oh when we go back when we go back that's just an anxiety loaded idea It, you, nobody is going back anywhere even if you try you can't we haven't built the requisite technology to go back yet you know and we, hypothetically it is possible that we could time travel to the past but there is a lot of logical conundrums there you know and so <laughs> all you travel to is to the present only uh, and uh, the present is ultimately shaped by your own consciousness so you require technology for your consciousness and when you can uh, have that in place and uh, a part of experiences like these and your camino is always building a community so then community now we have you can be in touch with people non locally you don't have to be in the same physical space so having access to that sangha non local can be also very helpful and uh, a, a dedication to having carving out time to have your own journey you know consistently then things start to all fall into place one of the things we always also which is helpful is when people go to the new the you know the the new now into what they call home is to change things to because your brain is the you know your mind is a creature of habit and if it goes back to the same habitual and starts to go into the same loop same familiar then before you know it the habit energy takes over and you slip into the habit energy you know uh, same coffee and the same newspaper the same channel and the same schedule do you follow and so you find that there is a that habit energy taking over so now this new experience recedes into the background because the habit energy has been with you for long it got a break for let's say a month or two but it's been there still the circuitry is hardwired so when you land into the location which you call home it is helpful to make the familiar and familiar to by shifting small things whether how you design your day to what time you get up to if you go to a regular you have some regular places you go to change them if you take a regular route to work shift that place you know take a different route uh and have a commitment like we always say here have a commitment of like take on a sadhana of 40 days or something 
because short-term goals, we should always have short-term goals, long-term vision in life. Long-term goals are useless. Long-term vision and short-term goals. Short-term goals and elegant fulfillment of short-term goals gives you winning energy. You gain confidence and you feel, okay, you gain your respect. So there is not an insecurity. And so the, the issue with long-term goal is that it's always in front of you. And so it doesn't give you energy, but rather keeps you in anxious state of trying to get there, but never getting there. So we should always have short-term goals, and these short-term goals should serve the long-term vision, which includes the here and now. But short-term goals are very helpful. And so that is where tapas, taking a 40-day or a 54-day commitment to a certain uh, intention and to a certain structure of your life, to a certain pouring of energy into yourself, you know, whether it is the morning sadhana at a very early hours of the morning, uh, you know, we have here, we give very specific instructions for that. I think that can be very helpful if you give yourself that time. You know, at least 40 days or something like that when you land, then you can really take this time to integrate all that you have acquired. And uh, also keeping the, un the familiar unfamiliar. You have to convert the familiar into unfamiliar. It's just very slight changes. Even changing the decor of your room can help, right? What symbols are there? All of that can play a role. Micro-adjustments. Mm. Mm, and the time, the time is, to taking the time is essential. I mean, Absolutely. Something that's, uh, that's interesting in the context of a pilgrimage is that uh, traditionally people would, you know, they would walk from their home or wherever they started, typically in their home, they would walk to their to their destination and then they would walk home the same distance, the same amount of time. And now, you know, we're uh, got to make the, the date <coughs> and I've got a plane to catch because I've got things to do. And, and so I feel that the time is something that we really miss. Yeah. Miss a lot in that. Mm. And slowing down, right? Because mm. one of the things with the unconscious habit energy is that you're just going through the motion and it happens quite fast. So you have to be, to bring greater awareness into your life, you have to slow down for this, for a certain period of time. You don't want to be in that pace your whole life. But for the certain uh, committed time, in the beginning, at least two, three weeks, you just be more, a little bit intentional in every activity, a little bit more alert. And uh, whether eating or, you know, just a little bit slower. That helps this, this new awareness to start to seep through into that day-to-day -day living. It starts to penetrate. If you're too, you know, or multitasking and all of that, then the mindless activity energy takes over. You're eating and watching, so it's, it starts to take over. So we have to cultivate an energy of awareness, and that requires a little bit slowing down, and also definitely not multitasking and creating that scattered energy in the brain. from one Camino to another, or from one pilgrimage from, from Spain, the it's a internationally famous uh, pilgrimage to here. Uh, possibly one of the oldest, most traveled pilgrimages in the world along the, the Ganga River, heading up to the sacred uh, high Himalayas. And as I understand, literally would pass the front door of, of Sattva, where we are. Um, you spoke a little bit about pilgrimage. W what is it to, to take a pilgrimage? And especially in the, 
you know, the aspect of the spiritual journey, like why, why have for, for millennia people taken pilgrimages and how are they relevant today? See, uh, all pilgrimages uh, always are part of the tapas, right? So there was always an intentionality. There was uh, a very intentional letting go of certain creature comforts at times or certain habit energy. So all pilgrimage represented an opportunity of breaking some habit energy yes. uh, and cultivating new, more upward moving progressive habits, rituals. That's what pilgrimage is ultimately. What we call sacred rituals are just upward moving habit energy. Over a period of time, habit energy takes over and starts to create a sense of numbness to life. So the pilgrimages were part of the spiritual traditions to create a discontinuous event of scenery, a discontinuous event. So even coming here, being here, that's becomes a pilgrimage that you create a discontinuous uh, experience. Whether you now you go on a retreat or any of these experiences represent, create a possibility of discontinuity from your whole continuous life. And evolution always requires a discontinuous element to it. You cannot just have continuity, continuity, continuity. So there is, has to be certain discontinuity of environment where you are now in a different way. You're not stuck in the same I amness, same role, this, the roles that you are playing. You give yourself the opportunity to show up in a totally different way. And that showing up in a different way itself opens up a phenomenal possibility of, of self-knowledge, of growth, of transformation. And so uh, pilgrimages have an important role in that. And so you would walk, you know, most of the pilgrimages now were used to be walking. And in that walking was, it became a walking meditation, right? So in uh, one of the meditations that, One of the practices was, you know, even Buddha taught, talked about it, taught it was just walking in meditation. And it becomes a, a great practice for silence and getting to be in that clear space. And the whole point of pilgrimage is really leaning in the direction of greater unity, right? It's, it's again a short-term goal. So pilgrimage is when taken, they have a short-term goal, meaning you are getting to a short to a location, and you have a very clear. So there is a certainty to it, to the to the journey you are taking. While there is uncertainty to what may arrive, but you are always on your way, and so it becomes a great metaphor for life. For then we can see a life as a whole, a pilgrimage, and uh, so you are always on your way to your destination. You are always being guided, come what may, and that's the whole point of the pilgrim, right? And as you are headed to your, uh, to the direction, there is the inner ability to face whatever arises and succeed in getting to your destination. But that destination, again, all that you're logging in between every challenge on the way to your destination, when you're taking, give it a context of pilgrimage, 
becomes worthy. You actually will meet people who are on pilgrimage who might be experiencing a certain challenge and they find great meaning in that challenge because they have now the context of this challenge is they're on a pilgrimage. Do you follow me? Like I, I meet, you know, so many people. You go up in Kedarnath and all these high Himalayas, I would meet people. We would go there often. But there was people who it was their first and last time that they were coming there. And so they, they're walking on the Kedarnath, you know, it's about 14,000, 15,000 feet. And there are some people coming from the desert of India, Rajasthan. They have never climbed a mountain in their life. And this is a high mountain. And Kedarnath has its own weather. It changes sometimes. It starts to rain and it becomes dark. And a lot of them were wearing flip-flops, uh, you know, and just a blanket and a stick. They did no dry foot, dry fit clothing or hiking boots, nothing. And they're just walking along. And it's, they're obviously having a struggle, right? They're struggling. Uh, it's tiring. And you, when you're at that altitude and the weather is dropping, the temperature is getting very cold and it might rain any time. And you still know there is at that time, there was no chai shops or like a place you could rest. So you are in this mountain now and you still have about 10 kilometers to go. And you have to traverse, at least you have to climb a few thousand feet. And you have never climbed. And so, and you meet them, there is a profound peace. They are, there is not like they're denying the challenge, they're accepting the challenge. They know you ask them, oh, is it difficult? Yes, it's so difficult. But they're smiling. And they're hurting, oh, it's very cold, but they're smiling. Why? Because they say they're on a pilgrimage. And they expected the challenge to come. And so the, it gives their challenge, gains a whole different meaning. And so those pilgrimages create this opportunity for us. You know, for us, like every journey, when you're doing a journey, certain part practices are challenging. But when you have a clear intentionality that you're doing that in order to grow within yourself, then your relationship to challenge alters. And to be a sane human being, how do you respond to challenges or when to events or experiences which might not be within your field of your expectation? How you respond to them? Where do you go? Says a lot about who you truly are. And so it's a great teaching in that sense also, right? The, that you are on your destination and every challenge that arises is part of the journey. And the true pilgrim never stops till he gets to the, he or she gets to their to the destination. And then the, every challenge, the cold, the, the isolation or the tiredness is part of the cleansing process. It's the tapas, it's the tapa. And so, you know, uh, I think they, that, that's why they have always been. And that's why I say even when people go up, you know, to the Himalayas, now there's some places they have helicopter. You can go to us. There is no reason to go. You know, you're not going to gain anything if you're going to go to the mountains, to Kedarnath, and now you're going to go on a helicopter. Unless you are very, very elderly and you, it's part of your faith system and you have not too much biological life left, okay. But, uh, you know, just otherwise for the most who can walk, they should go walking and they should climb and face that. That's the whole point of the pilgrimage. The pilgrimage is not that, oh, how can I get there fastest? And then we back and like, you miss the whole opportunity. There is a reason why in the Himalayas all these pilgrimage places were designed far off. Right? That you had to go there 
and there is a certain tapas involved. Like even when we go to Badrinath, which we are going in October, we go there, we'll, we'll go up after Badrinath to these places, right? So it becomes part of your, your inner journey. You get up at, you know, three, four in the morning, you go to sadhana. You, so there is a, a certain level you have to, an extra level of commitment that you draw in from yourself, uh, which has a, it has a, creates an energy which can then see you through for a long time. That I that image of uh, of people climbing in flip flops in the high Himalayas is, has to be uh, <laughs> inspiring for someone walking through Spain, um, you know, trying to trying to find the the next uh, village three kilometers away. Um, I'll definitely take it. Um, it how. I mean, w what are the things that support us in, in being able to meet the challenge? If we've had past experience of meeting a challenge in our life, that we, we have uh, an awareness of, uh, of, of what we're able to, to face and to achieve. For someone who's feeling doubtful, who's going into the relative unknown for the first time and, and meeting these challenges, what advice would you would you have? I mean, you have to prepare. You have to prepare accordingly. You should not... And the preparation is not from the point of view of accumulating some stuff, but because to realize uh, the challenge is directly proportional to the... to what degree the challenge is experienced, different, uh, proportional to how capable the individual is. And the capacity on that level, we all have infinite capacity. We just do not know how to unlock it. And so you have to have preparation to unlock that potential. And you require proper inner preparation. And that being said, you know, uh, when the challenge do arise and you have a little fear arise in you or a little low arise in you, that should all, one has to realize that is all part of the path. Because a lot of time there is this judgment that arises that when you feel scared and then you, because the fear arises, then you judge the fear itself. You become afraid of fear itself. Uh, and so that becomes a trap, you see. So it's very natural when you lean in the direction unfamiliar that your habit mind might feel a certain resistance and it will come up as fear or a little crying of, you know, resenting what is. And that's when, when one knows these are just natural reactions of the lower mind then it's just like a it's a swinging door it doesn't do much and you keep on and that consistency those who are the staying power gain the deserving power when you are in it for life and you have that inner knowing that the only way you know is to keep leaning in the direction of growth and becoming a better being better version and when i say better is not from a place of self-hatred but we are on a journey, and this journey of self-realization, and we are moving more and more in the direction of self-awareness. And when you know that you are committed to that, that deep vision, you are anchored in that, and that is a guiding power to your life, then you cannot come out defeated. Right? That's the first dharma. And what is the you know, great teachings of Krishna to Arjuna is yatho dharma, tatho jaya. Wherever there is dharma, there is victory. And the f one of the primary meanings of dharma is this inner commitment to self-growth, to self-awareness, to this commitment to keep leaning in the direction of unity within oneself. And any individual who has that deep commitment within themselves 
cannot be defeated. Cannot be defeated because no matter what comes, they'll just use it to grow. They convert it to growth. So how do you defeat someone who refuses to be defeated, who has no concept of defeat, who only has concept of lessons? You cannot defeat such a person. And so when you become that person, you're fearless. That does not mean you will not have fear. To be fearless does not mean to not have fear. That's a stupid idea. You, to, to be fearless to, is to face fear and to embrace it and to not judge yourself for being afraid and yet keep moving forward. And then that fear energy converts into enthusiasm and you find that that fear, which is coming from the reptilian brain, now it converts into supercharging. It becomes the kundalini. And so we have to embrace fear. There has to be an embracing. Fearlessness is the embracing of fear, not absence of fear. When you embrace it, then you convert it. Then you convert it into that absence of fear. See? But you must first embrace it. And develop uh, you know, your inner practice. I, you, without having a personal culture, just think we can just think our way cunningly, through life, that's for most people, it doesn't work. So you do require proper preparation. You have to back yourself. You know, if you're not backing yourself, then you know you'll always find a reason, right, and justify. But ultimately, you have to back yourself if you want to really go ahead. And how how important is the in that preparation the role of a of a teacher? And how does one find, connect with the right teacher? There is no such thing as a right teacher. Uh, that's just a, there's just the teacher for you. This right teacher, it's just a, just be the right student. It's like, <laughs> you know, everybody's looking for the right teacher, right guru. There is no such thing. You be the right student. And when you're the right student, you get the right teacher. It's as simple as that. You see, it's like be the right child, then your parent becomes right. You know, it's about self. And when you are that, you, you draw that towards you. We all need teachers, mentors, guides. No one has to do it alone. We have to embrace our aloneness. That is important. We cannot. Uh, it is as much an alone journey, but uh, one cannot do it alone. But one has to embrace one's aloneness. But we are not meant to go on this journey alone. Every, even the wise masters of the Himalayas who have taken time in seclusion, they take time in seclusion, but they also have a community. They have their teachers. So <clears throat> there is a f uh, phenomenal advantage, uh, phenomenal advantage to have people who can, who you are willing to learn from. It's really more about that, who you're willing to go and ask the right questions. You see? Uh, and I always say, what questions you ask, your life becomes an answer to them. So, uh, and the question is asked by the student, and that's why we say be the student, you know, who asks the right questions. For whatever you questions you ask, your life will start to become an answer. And so the, uh, I think it's of great importance to identify your sources of learning and then become the best student you can. And becoming a best student is really one of acts of great self-love. Otherwise, uh, you know, people 
you can show up, but you don't go the whole way. And uh, then I can see that from my own journey, right? For me, Maharaji was there, but, you know, he, who I am through is his, uh, all this support and guidance and teaching. But also, I showed up consistently. Uh, I always was dedicated to, to be the best student I could. I was uh, so passionate about learning. And so I think uh, we must focus on that and identify. I think it's very, very helpful to have. We don't need to, and we should reach out. You should reach out and uh, then be sin learn sincerely, you know. Be sincere to yourself. If you can't be sincere to yourself, you're living in a self-hatred, you know. You can never gain your respect then. Uh, often pilgrimages are, are very associated with religion and, and seeking God. And I'm wondering if you can share with us the, the difference between believing in God and experiencing God. See, belief is only required pending discovery. Right? Let's say someone goes on even on the pilgrimage of Camino de Santiago and they... Here, they have heard this story about Santiago, that there is this place called Santiago. Yes. And that this road ends there. And then this pilgrimage finishes. So they might, let's say this is pre-internet era. Uh, so they had not seen Google map of it and people's Instagram posts about it. And so let's say they hadn't seen reports, such vivid reports of people which had to their minds confirmed the location of this place. And so all they had to go by was some anecdotes of some people who had taken this journey. And let's say these are the beginners, the pioneers of this route. And so in order to somebody might have heard this resonated, okay, wow, I want to do that journey. But now they need belief that there is a place called Santiago because they have never been there. And so they need that belief, why? Because they do not know. And so that belief is helpful to help them take action. And it is only helpful because they do not know. Now, someone who w wants to go on Santiago, they don't need to believe that there is a Santiago. They need to believe in their own ability that they can do it. And again, why do they need to believe in their ability? Because they haven't done it yet. So belief is only an absence of knowledge. And it is relevant. It is only relevant if it helps you take action to move in the direction of converting this belief into knowledge, pending discovery and belief is relevant. But if, if this belief stays the same and it does not convert into knowing, then it can be a handicap. So let's say this person who's thought, who had a resonance, okay, I'm going to go to Santiago and I'm going to believe that is a Santiago but never takes the journey to Santiago, but walks around the world believing there is a place called Santiago. What uses this belief? And this person goes wherever they go, they keep talking about Santiago, but they have never been there. All they have is a belief. 
And then someone who has been there says, you know, it's not exactly like what you tell them. He gets angry. Because he has been believing now for so long, he has built his own identity on telling stories about a place he has never been to. But he believes in it. And he has structured now his whole identity around this belief. And so belief can be dangerous there. A very, very important thing. We cannot exist without belief. Belief is important. But it's a tool. We must learn how to use it, utilize it. Belief is extremely essential to help us move in the direction of knowledge. Then we must verify that knowledge at the level of experience. When God converts from belief to experience, then even if someone says no God, it doesn't trigger you. Do you follow me? The, as long as you do not have the experience of God, then any idea of God which is outside of the structure of thought that you're holding on to as belief will threaten you because you do not have the experience. You just have a structure of thought you have hold on to. And if anyone points to creates any structure of thought which might be outside of it and you don't have any experience, then it will threaten your structure of thought. So God as a belief structure can be helpful as a personal, but when as a social consensus generator, it can be a dangerous thing. But God as a possibility of the finest experience of relative reality on the inside is, uh, is what bliss is made of. And so the pilgrimage can be that, right? Where you are taking the journey from and trying to convert that belief to an experience. And moving from belief to experience is freedom. You're freed. You're free now. And that's a very powerful place to be. You know? So pending discovery, belief is very helpful. Pending discovery. But we must check within ourselves, what am I doing to convert this belief into knowing, to experience? Right? Because again, belief points to a lack of knowledge in a certain direction. Yeah, so like I might, on the path of the pilgrimage, every now and then you might feel, oh my God, I can't do it. It's so tiring. Oh, it's so cold. Maybe not in sun. Is it get cold there? Yeah, it gets cold. So let's say you say, oh, it's too cold. and Oh, there is still 300 miles to go. And then the voice says, no, believe in yourself. You can do it. Yes. And you say, okay, I believe. I believe. I believe in myself. But then you keep sitting there. And everybody who cares, you say, and you say, I'm a believer. Are you? And the person says, no. But they're walking. You are in the same place. And now you have a put up a tent there. Believers sit here. What's the point? So <laughs> if that voice of belief came, then get up and walk. Right? That belief, the voice is only there so that you can grow. And then you said, okay, I believe I can do it. Then get up and do it. Then when you are doing it, then you're not believing anymore because now momentum has taken over. So you don't have time to argue about people's beliefs and all of that. You don't have time for it. You have too much time when you're believing, you're not taking any action. You just sit in there and now you are, your whole identity is just belief. So you are interested in everybody else's business. Because you have so much energy, you're taking no action. 
You're the same person today. You're the same person 10 years from now. You're a believer. That's all. So, belief is very, very, again, I'm saying belief is very important. It's very helpful. Very, very helpful tool. But uh, to move in the direction of experience within the context of God, so important. To move in, to know God is freedom. And again, it's, when we say no God, it's not about who is God. It's also what is God. Not just who. Because who presupposes a personality. What? Maybe that's, that's also a relevant question. You know? Yeah, and I guess also that sometimes the experiences of others or seeing the experiences of others are really fuel and in, can be inspiration for our journey. I mean, Absolutely. I, I remember having a moment walking a long distance and I was exhausted and then <laughs> and then a, a guy uh, with one leg comes walking past, you know, uh, and a prosthetic and he was, you know, 70 years old in the heat of the day in the middle of the summer and it's, you know, it's an example but there, there, are, ins there are inspirational examples and stories around us every day absolutely yes mm. to and that's ultimately the life we want to live right you want to live a life that's an inspiration you know that's the legacy you should leave this world because ultimately we are all weaving stories and that's what we will become soon we will become stories our bodies will not be found but the stories we weave will be and so we must ask ourselves, what kind of a story am I weaving? Is it a story which inspires when people will tell, they will, there will be a fragrance of inspiration? Or it will be a story of how not to be? <laughs> so, um, we are all weaving stories in the eternal timeline of this existence. So we were inspiring one, you know. I have another question. So... I share like m many practices with with yoga practices with people on the journey on along the Camino and these sattva practices that we learn here that are diverse, comprehensive, integrative uh, with all sorts of people, first timers, people have been practicing many years, and all the time I will hear, but this isn't yoga. <laughs> And we have a particular idea of yoga in the West. I'm wondering if you can speak to that. And, uh, and yeah, the, I guess how it came to be, this idea. Uh, it's just one component. It's a reductionist approach, that's all. Uh, uh, again, which is an essential part of the yogic path. Um, you know, but there is a law in economics, like the the bad currency puts the new currency out of the flow, you know. And so you have to, when there is a new currency comes out, then it starts to get more circulated. And so when that circulation has reached a certain level of tipping point or critical mass, 
then uh, that seems to become the go-to definition of what is. And so that's just an, uh, a reductionist approach to look at one very limited aspect of yoga. That's all it is. And so as a teacher, that's wonderful. When you hear that, that's very good. That means you are bringing to the table something they, haven't even, they aren't even aware of. Right? So you have a lot more to bring to the table, which can help facilitate growth. And uh, just incorrect limited understanding is there. The whole path of yoga is a, it's, it's vast. It's, uh, it challenges your intellect. It is demanding on that level. Uh, but when you take just a isolated part, it seems you can remain the same and while also practice. And so you can be practicing, but you also are the same person. But now you cannot call yourself a yogi also. <laughs> so, so a lot of time that has happened in the yogic path where they have taken on a, a very some reductionist part of it, which where they can maintain their identity and, uh, and still have this checkbox, okay, I practice yoga also. You know, like I take vitamin D. And so it's like, okay, yoga check, oil pulling check. And so <laughs> and it has its relevance within a certain narrow parameter. But uh, again, you know, if you, it's like it can take you, you have a jet and you're using it like a bullock cart. And so that's yoga. Yoga is like a jet. It can take you and you just, are drawing, uh, you know, using it as a bullock cart, and uh, that's, a <laughs> and then someone comes on a jet and flies off. And it's like what? That's not jet. Jet is supposed to be on the road. Well, it's not. What you are doing is you're just flying. You're using the jet for what it is designed to do. And now you have to explain to the person who was using the jet as a bullock cart all this time, and you have to tell them, oh, why? And what you know, the jet it is designed to fly and take you from, <laughs> you know, across the <laughs> ocean and so on and so forth. And so, why get, take the jet in the first place as a bullock cart? So, I think it's the time is now. More and more teachers are teaching integrated approach around the world, like yourself. And that's where the real magic of yoga is, is when you can have that. And that's why people say that, oh my God, they had a profound experience, or they will have, oh, I've never experienced anything like this. What is this? Clear. So... It's a pointer too that there is they're experiencing something far greater that they might have not experienced going day in and day out and just doing only Surya Namaskars and different variations of it. Reductionist interpretations happen. Incorrect knowledge is easier to be circulated in the beginning because it uh, it it is not demanding for anything. People, any body of knowledge you take there will be more incorrect understandings of it than correct understandings. Whether you take quantum mechanics or you take religion, anything you take, do you follow me? You will find more people understanding it incorrectly and then being shocked when someone says to them, well, this is not what it means. <laughs> yes or no? So <laughs> so it's a... It's a it's just the way knowledge flows. Ananji, thank you so much for this meeting, for this sharing. It's uh, full of endless wisdom that we can 
take on our way, on our path, and um, and sit with and return to and and personally thank you for 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 everything over over these years for the for sharing and the guidance and the, yeah it's a, it's been a big journey and I am eternally grateful so thank you Om Shanti 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 Hari Om You've been listening to Satva Himalayan Wisdom Remember to subscribe like or share For more knowledge and wisdom visit our websites at sattvayogaacademy.com or sattvaconnect.com <laughs>